Hey folks and welcome back to another Blue Light podcast. I'm Brennan from Blue Light and this is the only place you need to be to discover all you need to know about police recruitment and more. So once you're actually in the police uh, to discover everything you need to do to ensure that your career is awesome, that it's not just successful, that it is deeply fulfilling, that you're in roles where people say things like, wow, she's in her element. Wow. He's in his element there. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about career development. And the same concepts apply to you if you're hoping to join the police as well. So again, I'm trying out something new here. I'm actually uh, doing a podcast and I'm recording this as a video. So hopefully it'll all work out okay. Um, So I may talk about things that are visuals I'm going to hold up. And uh, sorry, I'll try and describe it as best as I can for the podcast listeners. And um, for those of you who are on YouTube, please forgive me if I don't know where to look. <laughs> so I'm either looking at the camera or and I'm so used to just talking to the microphone like this. Um, anyway, I hope it works out. So first of all, the problem with PDR. So and that stands for Professional Development Review. Um, And it's the same problem with the uh, competency and values framework as well. Um, It's too complicated. It's been designed by someone who is, to me, probably very, very systems focused, very, very process driven, um, likes to feel as though they're in control. Uh, Why do I say that? Because this document here is the actual guidance on reviewing and assessing performance for the professional development review. This is something you have once a year when you're actually in the police. It's 36 pages long. I've only printed off the front cover. It's it's 36 pages long. Oh my goodness. And it's got things like this in it. Flowcharts like this in it. I'm holding up a flowchart, by the way, folks, if you're listening to it on the podcast, it's, it's just insane. And, and then it continues on the other side. There's more. There's two pages worth of flowcharts there with each one of the pages has got something like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, something like 12, 15 different boxes and arrows going all over the place. I haven't got a clue. I understand this kind of stuff. I've got a master's in education where I focused on personnel evaluation systems and assessment systems and competence frameworks and all of that kind of stuff. I don't understand it. I read, I lost the will to live reading that 36 page guidance. So I know from talking to you that what you tend to do is you just dust it off once a year. And I know that it's not your sergeant or inspector who writes it, although there are exceptions. You write it for them. It's backward looking. So you're demonstrating that you are, you're evidencing your competence for the past year. So it's backward looking. And there may be something there about having an action plan and working towards something, or I hope to be in the road policing unit one day and you'll have a bit of an action plan. But honestly, do you really look at that action plan again? No, I've spoken to so many of you and you've spoken to me on LinkedIn and you put comments on Facebook and the serving officers I know have been in touch. It's not changed from when I did it. I wrote my own PDR out, my boss signed it, and then it just never got sore again. I think I went for a period of about six years without having any performance development review whatsoever. I got promoted to inspector without having an up-to-date PDR. So fairly useless, actually, fairly useless. Um, And the other obsession, the other thing that I think is a bit of a problem is this obsession with developing your weaknesses. Does that make sense at all? I mean, 
at best, if you focus on your weaknesses and spend a lot of energy and effort and time on developing your weaknesses, you're going to be mediocre. And what role within the police are you going to go for that requires you just to be mediocre at certain behaviours, certain skills? Because we're not all going to be brilliant firearms officers. We're not all going to be brilliant road policing unit officers. We're not all going to be brilliant neighbourhood officers. You play to your strengths, don't you? You play to your strengths. Um, I, I've never seen a, a, an application form that says um, the, the best we require of you is mediocrity. We're looking for mediocre officers to fulfil this role. So why do we focus on our weaknesses so much? I've accepted my weaknesses. Actually, I don't even call them weaknesses. They're just the way I am. It's just who I am, and I try and mitigate for them. So if I span the camera around here, for those of you watching this on a, on a, on a video, is if I span the camera around, you'd see absolute chaos around me. My desk that I'm sitting at, you can't see it. I'm not even going to show it you because it's... Well, I'm not even going to say it's embarrassing, but... I kind of know where everything is, but it's just a mess. And that's always been me. I'm, just, I'm messy. I'm chaotic. I don't do lists. I'm not a process person and I'm not a systems person. But forever in the police, from when I became a sergeant and then as an inspector, I've had bosses trying to um, develop me, develop that weakness, develop that thing. It's impossible. That's just the way I'm wired. My strengths and these are the ones I've played to throughout my time in the police. My strengths are that I am fairly creative. I'm capable. I'm one of those early adopters and early innovators. Uh, I like to try out new things. I'm quite happy in chaos. I'm quite happy in complex situations. The more complex the situation is, the happier I am. Because you can't do processes and systems in chaotic um, complex scenarios. So neighbourhood policing was perfect for me, which is why I spent so long in that role. Never spent so long in a role in my whole career. But I was playing to my strengths. And I've done that throughout my career. And I've always achieved everything that I've wanted to achieve, uh, besides being forced into custody. I was told by the superintendent, it's your turn. You're going to be a custody officer for a year, at least. Just, I know you don't want to do it, Brendan, but you are doing it. You are going into custody. And I'm actually grateful because it was useful for me uh, when I was an inspector, and especially on response when I had to manage a custody suite, as well as being a response inspector. So it's really useful because I knew my way around the role so that when my sergeants were struggling, I could help them. And I knew what the challenges were, and I'd actually been through some of those challenges myself. So it's kind of useful for that. But if I was given a choice, no, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> I was stuck inside as well. Oh, God. I, I'm not going to say I enjoyed being a custody officer. Um, similarly, I, I got told I was going to be a staff officer to an assistant chief constable. Um, this was a time when I was in training and development. I was working towards my master's in education. And I was also involved in nationally in some projects around standards and qualifications. So that particular ACC wanted someone called Brendan to do be his staff officer and manage those sort of things on his behalf. Because I, honestly, I don't really think he enjoyed managing those things. So he wanted to find someone who would. See, that's what he was doing. He was playing to his strengths elsewhere and he was mitigating his weaknesses. He didn't like that kind of stuff. I know he didn't like, I'm not going to say his name, but he didn't, I know he didn't like that stuff. I was his staff officer. And so he found someone who was good at that kind of stuff that he could give those roles, those portfolios to and to just say, basically, Brendan, get on with it. Manage these on my behalf and tell me what I need to say at the meetings. 
And that was it. So he mitigated his weaknesses. And so that's what I'm going to suggest that you do in your career. Mitigate your weakness. Focus on your strengths. Play to your strengths. And this is the first part of a five-stage process I'm going to talk about now in this podcast and video. Because 36 pages, you're joking, aren't you? No one's going to read 36 pages. A nice, simple five-step process that I can put on half a page yeah, that hopefully will resonate with you. So pin your ears back, folks. This is how it goes. So the first thing, the first thing is find out what it is in the job that you're going to love. Find out that thing that you're going to love. And even if you're a potential recruit now, you can start thinking about this. What sort of role do you think you would love? Now, of course, once you're in the police, you can explore this. And your first three years as a student officer, explore all the different roles ask, 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 look for amazing role models in the police service in different roles and find out those things that you think you would be awesome at. Those things where you would be in your element, where you'd be in your element. Um, Because that's where I wanted to be all the way through my career. And uh, I borrowed that phrase, actually, of Sir Ken Robinson, who's passed away, sadly. Um, Rest in peace, Ken. Um, He's... He he did the most watched TED Talk. If you've watched any of the TED Talks, they're awesome, aren't they? And if you haven't, do watch them. Just look it up. TED, T-E-D, Talks. Look it up on YouTube and look up Sir Ken Robinson. And he was responsible for some of the most watched TED Talks in the world with millions and millions of people who have watched them. And one of the things he talked about was the importance of finding your element. Finding your element. Because there's a difference between success in a career... And fulfillment. You can um, be successful in your career, but if it's performing in roles that you're not happy in, then it's empty. It's devoid of excitement. It's devoid of something in your heart that makes you want to go in every day and do you really to give 120% without being asked to do so. Those are the roles that are deeply fulfilling. And I think there's a difference there. So what I was after and what I suggest that you need to be finding in your first few years or wherever you are in your career are those roles where you know that you're going to be successful because you're playing to your, playing to your strengths and where you're going to find the role deeply, deeply fulfilling. So once we've found out what those roles are, the next stage the next stage is to dig out the job description or role profile for that particular role. Because what we want to do now, if that's your vision for where you want to be, and there's all sorts of little exercises you can do to ensure that that vision is compelling and concrete, because the mind doesn't know the difference between what it imagines and what actually happens. There's some exercises I can do with you that actually prove that. Um, We're going to get the results in advance by having a concrete, compelling vision of what it's going to be like when you are in that role. Now, what the job description is going to provide you with is what the most awesome person in that role is in terms of their behaviours and their skills and their values. So now we're going to do a self-assessment against those behaviours, against those skills, against those values, and we're going to determine where the gaps are. So you're not going to be awesome at everything, by the way, folks. You are never going to be awesome at everything. You can't give yourself 10 out of 10 for everything. So you need to be honest here and do your own self-assessment on a scale of 1 to 10 or 1 to 7 or whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. It's your game. And then once you've identified those areas that you'd need to improve in, because you want to demonstrate at some point you're the, the most awesome candidate ever for that role, that you're the perfect avatar 
of what the job description or role profile describes. So this is the time now to start working towards it. Start finding the opportunities to, for example, um, make difficult decisions or work in partnership with other organisations to work through a problem or be good at doing briefings or be good at whatever it is. So whatever it is that they're looking for, start pushing yourself into the opportunities or create those opportunities for, so you can actually do those things. And this might need you to take uncomfortable action because the results won't always be perfect. They won't be at the start because it's something new. It's something challenging. You're developing yourself. It's imperfect and uncomfortable action and get used to it. Get used to it. It's imperfect because it won't always go right. And it's uncomfortable because it's the first time you've done it. Or it might be the second time you've done it. But after you've done it four or five times, it starts becoming easier. I can remember my first day as an inspector. Oh my goodness. (laughs) One, as terrified. No one knew it, but I was as terrified. And by the end of the first day, oh my word. I felt like I was going to be a dreadful inspector. I felt like I didn't have a clue it was really, really uncomfortable. And can I share with you that the first sort of four or five months or six months as an inspector, there's lots of really uncomfortable moments. After 12 years as an inspector, uh, it's a bit more of a walk in the park. It wasn't quite so challenging. But it's still imperfect. There's still mistakes I was making. I'm still doing some learning. So it's okay to be imperfect. And it's uncomfortable because, hey, first day as an inspector. It's like first day at school. Um, I was terrified. I had the same feeling the first day I was a custody officer. Exactly the same. But you push yourself and push yourself and take that uncomfortable action and develop yourself to the point where you're awesome and you're loving it. Except that I didn't really love custody officer, as I said before. So what we're doing now is we're developing our awesome. That's the third stage now. We are developing our awesome. And one of the things I suggest that you do is that you have what I call a challenge diary. I've always had one of these, but I've never known what to call it. And I just thought, well, it's a challenge diary. This is a diary full of all of these things I've done to challenge myself, to push myself, to give 120% without being asked to do so, to get noticed. But the important thing is... I've put down some evidence. I've I've written down in my diary exactly what's happened, um, how did it happen, what did I do, what did I do that was good, what did I do that was needs improving, why did that happen, what was the impact on others. Lots of open questions. I can come up with a little guide for you as to the sort of questions that should go in your challenge diary. And then what's going to happen now is in about six months' time or a year's time, they're going to advertise for that vacancy or for that uh, promotion or whatever it might be that is your awesome, that, that thing that's going to be your element. And as opposed to everyone else who's going to get the application form and go, oh, time when I've made a difficult decision. Oh, time when I've demonstrated emotional awareness where I've um, had to consider the needs of others and make a decision based on that. God, I can't remember. And then they might remember something and they'll think, Oh, it's all a bit fuzzy. I can't remember what I said or... Now it's just sort of become a bit of a blur. Well, that's not going to be the case for you. Because in your challenge diary, you're going to have the most awesome evidence ever of you developing yourself towards a perfect avatar of the role that you're going into. Is that making sense so far, folks? Let me know, because that's stage three. Stage four is going to be a walk in the park for you, because this is just completing 
the job application, but you've already hacked the process. So you know exactly what they're going to be looking for in the job application. You know exactly the type of questions that they're going to ask. So let's think for an example, if you're going to be a firearms officer, going in to be a firearms officer, one of the questions that is highly probable they're going to ask you is about decision-making. Because as a firearms officer, you've got to make quick and good decisions. Otherwise, people's lives depend on it. So my guess is on most application forms for firearms officers, there's questions about decision-making. But you're already going to have so much evidence about decision-making that that will be a walk in the park for you. You've got your challenge diary and you already know the things that they're looking for and they're only going to ask you questions on the application form about things they're looking for. Why would they ask questions, ask you questions on the application form about values or behaviours or skills that they're not looking for? Is that making sense? See, it's so simple, isn't it? You don't need 36 pages worth. So remember, the only purpose of the job application is to get you an interview or get you a board or assessment centre or whatever it is within your force. That is the only purpose of a job application or your role application or promotion application or whatever it is. It serves no other purpose. Its only purpose is to get you to the next stage. So you're going to get to the next stage because your evidence is already awesome. And you know how to describe that evidence as well because you've got the structured process. Uh, in other podcasts and videos, I'll talk, I have talked and will talk again about the SALCU process if it's forward-facing. You'd be using the Simon Sinek uh, three circles that look at your why, your how, and then the what. Uh, These are all subject of other videos and other podcasts. Uh, And by the way, if you want to find out more about these things, then join the Facebook groups. And uh, join the services even that um, where we really deep dive into these things. And uh, if you want to find the Facebook groups, just go to Facebook groups and then search for Blue Light and Police Recruitment. You'll find a group that's got over 16,000 members in it. If you're a serving police officer, there is the uh, Enforced Development. Enforced Development. So Blue Light, Enforced Development. I think I call it a cadre because you are, you're a cadre. You're awesome people. Um, that group is only about three months old and it's got just over 3,000 people in it now. So that's um, doing well. And we talk about all of these sort of things in that group. So hopefully you can join us in one of those groups um, where we talk about this in a lot more detail, a lot more detail. We talk about the Sinex circles and we talk about um, Kudsar and Salku and all the different methods and techniques that you can utilize to ensure that your job application is absolutely awesome and your evidence in there just nails everything that they're looking for because you've got this deeper understanding of the competency and values framework, the marking guide, the role profile, a far deeper understanding than everyone else because you've been working towards it for the past year or two or six months or whatever it might be. So the next stage is your board or your interview. Now, you already know ahead of time what sort of questions you're going to get asked. You already know ahead of time what sort of forward-facing, what sort of rear-facing questions you're going to get asked, if you're going to have to do a presentation, if you're going to have to do a group exercise. It doesn't matter what it is they're going to present in front of you. You're already going to be awesome at that because you're going to have practiced, practiced, and practiced. The hard work, folks, is in the rehearsal so that on the day you perform confidently, confidently, and authentically as well. Now, I'm working with a a large group of serving police officers who have uh, dipped at interviews, dipped at promotion boards, and one of the things that they consistently say is that their levels of anxiety get to the point where 
they just become someone else. And that's a feedback a lot of them has, uh, have had is that you, you just turned into someone else at the interview. Another thing that's consistent is they may have had one or two mock boards or mock interviews, but they didn't consistently take action on a daily basis, that uncomfortable and imperfect action of actually practicing the art of answering questions or doing the presentation or doing the group exercise or whatever it might be. So that's what we're going to do. This is the this is how you hack the interview or hack the board or whatever it is that you've got to go through so that you rehearse for it. So on the day, you don't come across as rehearsed or someone else. You can be authentic. You can be emotional. You can have personality. You can have confidence and you're prepared and you're going to pass. You're going to pass. And so there it is, folks. Five stages. It's a five-step process. Here's my... Just to prove it can be put on a page. There it is. There's my scribbly notes. I could put that on half a page, actually, because that's just my scribbly notes. Um, it's not the original, but it's the one I'm using at the moment. And um, it just works. I mean, why would that not work? Why would it not work? And a bit at the bottom, by the way, you might be thinking, what's that bit at the bottom? Actually, that's that guidance I was talking about, the diary evidence. So um, what was the situation? What was I aiming to achieve? What actually happened in detail? What was the impact on other people? Um, what was what options did I develop? Uh, what actions did I take? How did I take those actions? What went well and why? What didn't go well and why? What was, were the causes of those things not going well? What was the causes of those things that did go well? Uh, what was the impact on others? What was the result? And what would I do better if I was presented with that same situation next time? And when you're talking about that, what went well and what didn't go well, you're utilizing the behaviors from the competency and values framework or some of the key important ones, which are listed in the job description. Is this making sense, folks? It's so easy. Five steps. That's all it is. Five steps. And the great thing about this process is it's playing to your awesome. It's playing to your awesome. And it's ensuring that you are um, playing to your strengths as well so that importantly importantly you're going to get to the end of the process and you're going to succeed first time and then when you do get that job that role that promotion that specialist role whatever it might be you know that you're in your element you know that you're doing something that's going to be deeply satisfying where you're going to be successful and it's going to be incredibly fulfilling for you so there you go folks i hope you've enjoyed that podcast and video um, please, if you've got any comments, do let me know. Come and join the conversation. Come and join the team that's working on these things. I mean, the great thing about for the serving officers, some feedback some of them have given me, is that you know we're spending time having a conversation that needs to be had, discussing those things that need to be said. And for the first time, we're focusing on their needs and they're spending some precious time out of their busy working and daily lives to spend time on their development. And that's a great thing to see, um, because if we're doing that in a structured way, which is what we're doing, then it's going to enable them to go away every week and do something about it and, and take that action that's going to get them to the point where the, one day they resign or retire with honour, look back and think, that was incredible. That That career was just amazing. I did everything that I wanted to do. Unlike a lot of officers I speak to who retire and get to a point of retirement and before retirement they're saying, oh, I wish I'd done. I wish I'd gone for a promotion. I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd done this. It's too late, folks. It's too late. I look back at my career. 
I'd make all the same choices again. It was awesome. Awesome. So this is my wish for you folks to have an awesome career. I look forward to helping you, to supporting you, to being on that journey with you, to enable you to have that awesome career. Catch up with you soon. Bye-bye for now. Thank you.